Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life, if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is November 16th, 2016. This is episode 1899 of the Survival Podcast. And if you can't tell, I'm in a good mood. Um, I'm in a good mood for many reasons today. Um, first, the subject that we're going to talk about today. Uh, Blake Akers will be on with us in just a minute. Who's Blake Akers? Well, if you're familiar with the TSP business directory, that's all Blake. Uh, Blake built it, configured it, customized it, did all that good stuff, and has made it a tool so that you guys out there that have businesses within the community can advertise your business for as little as five bucks for six months. And many of you have picked up customers in business because you're advertising in the TSP business directory. So he's going to be on to talk about that today. Blake also is a guy that's an example of deciding enough of the bullshit, I'm going to make something happen for myself. Blake walked away from a good-paying job this year. He's taking private clients in addition because, you know, running the TSP business directory makes him some money, but it's not going to pay all his bills, right? So he's taking other private clients. He's, he's building a business and web development and, and web consulting uh, right now. So he's going to talk to us about making that transition. And he also, when we built the TSP business directory, basically we found this really cool directory plugin for WordPress. And uh, it wasn't just a directory. It did all these other great things that gave it all the ability to do reviews and mapping location and everything. And when I looked at it, I said, Blake, Would you be interested in rebuilding AgriTrue, which is basically at this point a complete and abject failure? Because I've recently uh, acquired the full rights to AgriTrue back from uh, from the other partners that had been involved in it. And they weren't bad guys or anything. They just couldn't do it. They just could not build it. Like, this will do like 99% of what I ever wanted out of AgriTrue. I'll buy the full software suite instead of the one-use small fee. I'll pay for it. And uh, if you can use it to build AgriTrue, it's worth doing. He said, yeah, I can do that too. So we're also announcing officially the relaunch of AgriTrue today on the Survival Podcast. Now, if you were me, wouldn't you be in a good mood today too? I mean, what a great topic. What a bunch of great information we're going to put out today. So I, I think that's great. So AgriTrue, for those of you that don't know, is basically a private alternative to the organic label and a way for consumers and producers to find each other, and a way for consumers to know if I'm eating an AgriTrue product, if I'm buying an AgriTrue product, I'm getting certain assurances. And in some ways, maybe beyond organic, and in some ways, uh, with, the, with the feed requirement and GMO feed being a lot, if it's disclosed, less stringent, which makes it more inclusive to small producers that are just trying to get started. And yet the food that they're producing is 100 times better than you'd buy in the store. And AgriTrue is so old that I came up with it when I still lived in freaking Arkansas. And now it's here. It's here for real this time. Uh, it works. It functions. It does what it's supposed to do. The only thing missing from it is you guys out there that are producers. So, um, And we've also spun it into uh, Permaetho, so it has a lot higher level of support than just me and Blake. So this is going to be a great show. Now, the other reason you might, uh, you know, kind of, if you've been following the show lately, realize I'm in a great mood. Listen to my voice. My voice has returned. I am the old Jack once again. My larynx, my vocal cords, whatever, have healed up. I wouldn't say they're 100%, but they're 99%. 99% is good enough. Then on top of it all, 
with today's show being about entrepreneurship, I started thinking about a song of the day. And I came up with a song of the day that doesn't sound like it has anything to do with entrepreneurship or getting to that point where, where talk show host Steve Harvey says, you got to jump. But it is, and it's the backstory to it. And it's a beautiful song, and I'm going to finish the show with this, and I know I'm going to crush it when we get there. So I'm in a damn good mood, so let's continue on with that viewpoint. And uh, before we get Blake on the show, let's hear from our two sponsors of the day. Bob Wells Nursery has become my go-to for fruit trees, nut trees, and hard-to-find edibles. Their customer service is second to none, and they even provide a 10% discount for all MSB members. Check them out at bobwellsnursery.com today. Hey, if you've listened to this show for any length of time, you know I love to cook. And my go-to source for spices, seasonings, sauces, and information is Chef Keith Snow's site, HarvestEating.com. Give Chef Keith a try, and you'll see why I use his products at least a few times every single week in my own kitchen. You can learn more at HarvestEating.com. Next up, let's take a look at the year that was the episode, the year 1899, because... The episode is 1899, which means tomorrow. Tomorrow we will start covering history segments from the same century that most of you guys have lived in, the 1900s. That's how far we've come with the history segments from Alex Shrug. Today, for the year 1899, I have Education as a Means for Social Change. You can bet your ass I'm going to read that one, huh? And the Philippine-American War and the Silent Shame. You should read that for... A story of not our finest hour. You will also hear today notable births this year. Humphrey Bogart, film actor and husband of Lauren Bacall. You dog. We all know who Bogart is. Come on. Um, Alfred Hitchcock is born this year. Director of films like The Birds and Psycho. I freaking loved the Alfred Hitchcock like half hour show like that went along with the Twilight Zone as reruns when I was a kid where they played the music. That's not the right music. You guys know what I'm talking about. And he walks out kind of with his pot belly and all, and there's a silhouette of him, and they had these. I when I was a kid, I would stay up late when I wasn't supposed to, and it was one of the channels like I loved Alfred Hitchcock. I also loved the Twilight Zone. Those of you on Netflix, check it out. They have all of that shit. The whole. Twilight Zone from episode one to the final episode, the original stuff, the Rod Serling stuff. I haven't checked for Alfred Hitchcock. I should. And Frederick Hayek is born this year, author of The Road to Serfdom. In other news, Bayer markets aspirin this year. If they invented the drug today, it would still be waiting for FDA approval. Nippon Electric Company, or NEC, markets telephones. It's the first joint venture between a Japanese and American company. NEC will start building computers in 1980. I remember that. And the Gnome Gold Rush begins... <clears throat> With the Klondike Gold Rush winding down, there's gold nuggets in Nome, Alaska that you can scoop up off the beach. At least that's the story. Let me read to you Education as a Means for Social Change. It may seem insignificant at first. A book on educational theory is published by John Dewey this year entitled The School and Society. But his books will present a unified theme that will guide our education system into the modern day. Dewey builds on the original goals of Horace Mann to bring education to the masses in order to pr promote social efficiency, civic virtue, and to build character. These are worthy goals, but man never really defined what civic virtue was. Dewey believes that socialism is a progressive virtue, that all good parents of a sensible, wise nature would wish for their children. Since an efficient democracy requires the best virtues should be taught in schools, naturally whatever lessons the lesser parents might want taught to their children is irrelevant. 
The smart, educated professionals will choose the proper curriculum on their behalf. It is all for the best. Can you say Common Core? I knew that you could. My take by Alex Shrugged. Horace Mann may have laid the foundation for the U.S. educational system, but John Dewey built the liberal schoolhouse on top of it. I don't like Dewey, but I don't want to dump all over him either. He was a sincere man. He lived during a time when socialism was viewed with scientific social experiment. It looked good on paper, but no one had given it a real try. Now, after all the years of failure and the murder of millions, it is a wonder that anybody would be willing to give it another go. Socialism is not another name for Facebook or Twitter. True socialism means Nazis, Stalin, Mao, and that little guy who's still running North Korea. He likes basketball, so apparently that made it okay when he sentenced Kenneth Bay to 15 years of hard labor for attempting to overthrow the government. Bay is a Christian missionary, and the Bible is obviously a subversive document to the Democratic People's Republic of Korea. Bay fell ill and was released in November of 2014. Okay, so... I actually have a take on this that I think has to do with like a modern dismay of Democrat and liberal media commentators and something I've been hearing. And it is about socialism. And it, it, I think what they're having trouble with is, well, we've explained it so well in our education system for over a hundred years now. Why don't they get it? And this is the statement. I, I bet you've heard this statement many times if you've listened to any of the Ask Clown Circus news from before the election all the way up to and after the election. And it's something like this. You'll have some liberal idiot on the TV. <clears throat> and remember, I don't think all liberal ideas are bad, just the economic ones and the ones that involve the state telling you what to do, right? Like leaving people the hell alone, that's a, that's a classical liberal idea. I'm for that. But the, the liberal idiot <clears throat> says something like this. It's just... Amazing that white middle class men continue to vote against their own self interest. Do you, do, you, do you have you heard that? Do you know what they're saying? Listen, and, and you could really don't have to say white middle class males. You could say it's amazing that middle class and lower middle class people, just by and large, they're white males that are the biggest part of the voting bloc, continue to vote against their own self self interest. They're confused by it. They don't get it. And here's what they mean by that. Well, if you don't have a lot of money then you should want Democrats in office because they believe in redistributing wealth to you. And yet you vote against them and we don't get it. Of course you don't. Of course you don't. Of course you don't. Because of one word, one word that's going to shock you when I say it if you don't already know it. Morality. Morality. Let's say that it really is in the best interest of lower middle class people and middle class people to vote Democratic. Let's say it really is in their self-interest. And let's say they know that. Those are big leaps, but let's just say it. The majority of them that are voting Republican today would still vote Republican until they figure out that there are other options anyway. Why? Morality. And I want to frame it for you in a way that probably nobody ever has. And I probably should do a little YouTube video on this so you can share it with all your, your liberal friends. And I should be a little nicer when I talk about them so that they'll maybe listen. But, but here's what this would be like. Imagine there's, there's ten people is the entirety of the United States. Ten of them. And we have six of them that are lower middle class, middle class, and poor represent them. We have one who represents kind of the affluent, so that gives us seven. And then we have three, eight, nine, and ten, who represent, let's say we have six and seven represent the affluent, right? People that are upwardly mobile that you don't know, make a quarter million dollars a year or so, all right? That kind of like, but they're not billionaires or anything. And then we have two that represent the elite. The people that are worth, you know, $20 million to a gazillion dollars, right? 
And I'm running for president against a guy named Frank. And Frank says, listen, listen, these four guys have it really good. Now, these two guys in the middle, these affluent guys, not as good as these two elite guys. But what I propose is that I will go out with a gun, I will put it to their foreheads if they don't pay up, and I will make them give you more of their income. And I'm running against Frank, and I say, because now remember, I'm not Jack. I'm a Republican in this. I say, you know what? Those guys worked hard for what they have. They really did. And you know them. Because in this case, there's only 10, so you actually would know these people on a first-name basis. And I don't think that we should take as much from them as he says. I think they should contribute to society more than they are, or at least as much as they have been, but I think that they should be entitled to keep more of what they've worked for. So I will only use a gun if they don't agree to kind of do less. And you as a moral person would say, if you're doing lesser of two evil voting, I don't like either one of these ideas. Do you see how repellent it would be? Do you see how repellent it would be if you knew the person to whom the gun will be placed to their head and that that money would be taken from them by force and given to you? Do you see how offensive that would be? And if I'm at least saying, well, I'll take less of it, You would make a moral choice if you're in the dichotomy to vote for me. Now, of course, what I would say is, I don't think we should steal from anybody. I think using force to take other people's property is wrong. What I'd like to do is build society in a way that would make it in their best interest to willingly help you. Maybe you've never thought about it that way before, but that's why all you liberal idiots in media, I don't understand why these people vote against their own self-interest. Because while it may be better for them in the short term to have stuff taken from somebody else, they believe stealing from other people is effing wrong, you morons. With that, let's get into the main topic of today's show, Better Subject. Building a business so that you can be one of those evil wealthy people who lives the life you want. And uh, the more people we do that for, the more people will realize that taking other people's shit that they worked hard for is wrong. With that in mind, I want to introduce our special guest again. He is the force behind the TSP business directory, the force behind the resurgence, the rebirth, the resurrection of AgriTrue. He is a young entrepreneur that is stepping out on his own. We're going to be talking about all of that more today. With that help, hey, Blake, man, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Hey, Jack, great to be here. Hey, man, I kind of briefed the audience in the beginning because I know some of them heard your name and stuff like that, but they do know, you know, you're the force behind the directory and uh, the rebirth of AgriTrue and uh, that you, uh, you've, you've worked with me on other projects and you're kind of going out on your own now. But kind of just so people know who Blake Akers is, can you kind of take us back to like, I don't know, you're sitting in study hall in 11th grade and trying to figure out what to do with your life and how do you end up where you are today? Because that just kind of helps people connect with who you are as a person, you know? Sure, yeah. Well, um, just to kind of go back a bit, um, I went to college originally back in, I don't know, 2001 for uh, computer science programming, that kind of stuff. And to say it didn't stick would be an understatement. And to say I was kind of unfocused would also be an understatement. But uh, So I got a job really entry level in IT um, early on. Got married to my wife, Lindsay, um, and we decided, you know, it just wasn't working out what we were doing, the path we were on. So um, I decided to quit my job, join the Air Force, got to see the world, spent four years um, overseas in Germany, 
got to see a good bit of Europe working in um, satellite communications for the Air Force. Then we came back home to uh, Birmingham, Alabama, joined the National Guard, did that for a while. And, uh, you know, really just I guess the whole working in a big organization, the whole corporate thing, it just it was never for me. Um, you know, pretty much it's, it's like you've got all these ideas, all these things you want to do, and it's just, it's not meant to happen in a place like that. So, um, I had a plan of starting my own business and I've kind of been working on that for a few years, um, with a goal of working up to that point. And, uh, this year it was kind of like, I guess I took some advice from you, you know, if you're planning and thinking and, you know, you're not actually going out and just, taking a leap of faith sometimes it'll never happen so i kind of had to kick myself into gear and say you know what let's just make a go of this and uh so here we are two months in and so far so good that's great to hear man um okay, let's talk about the name of your company right blake development so uh what's with uh, throwing your name in there is that so you can uh, hear it over and over again or something <laughs> Well, yeah, no, um, not exactly, and I'm not, you know, I'll make the promise now I'm never going to be the kind of person that wants his name on, you know, the side of buildings, side of airplanes, not to say anything about our next president, but, um, you know, um, it really gets back to uh, government, and, you know, a lot of the hurdles we have to go over as a small business owner to deal with those guys. Um, here in Alabama, we've got a law on the books that says if you are a sole proprietorship and you work in technology, you have to have your name somewhere in the uh, company. So starting out, I didn't want to incorporate a few years ago. Um, so we went with that and it's, it's kind of, you know, I kind of imagine a bunch of, a bunch of legislators down in Montgomery sitting around. What are we going to do about this new Internet thing? They don't really understand anything about it, but they have that, you know, we've got to do something idea. And that's how that all came about. So, I mean, you made this leap that I, you know, I, I talk about how Steve Harvey says you got to jump. And I say you got to just, you know, go for it or what have you. Or Gary Vanderchuk says you got to, you know, go out there and crush it. Um, but taking that leap and, and leaving a job is tough, man. So, When you were getting ready to leave and go out on your own, what was your biggest fear when you decided to quit and do uh, Blake Development full-time? Well, Jack, I think the biggest fear was, you know, how are we going to grow this up to a level that will sustain and replace my income? So just some background on that. Um, I moved down to the Gulf Coast for about, I don't know, six months most of this year. Um, and it was related to the job, and so I got down there and ran into a problem trying to get closed on a house, and it just dragged out and dragged out and dragged out. And my whole idea was I was going to stay with this company. I was going to work down there for five years, and I was going to build up residual income, passive income, you know, to replace about half of my salary. And then at that point, I thought I would be ready to springboard on to full-time, you know, business ownership. Well – We got down there, and we finally were going to close on the house, went through all the process, and the day before closing, we went to the house to check everything out, do a walkthrough, and the neighbor's dog got loose, came on the property, had to come pull the dog back, put him up, and when he did, the first thing out of his mouth was, you know that house floods every two years, right? 
So, Great. so here I am, you know, according to FEMA, we're in a X flood zone, you know, every 500 years, we might have to worry about it. No disclosure, no, nothing like that. It's supposed to close the next day. And I'm looking at, you know, do I take the risk with this house? Obviously they're trying to get out of it. Um, if I don't take the risk, move on, I'm going to have to rent a house down here, move our stuff in, move out when we find something else. It was just a big mess. So, you know, we took a day, we thought about it and just came to the conclusion. If we don't do this full time, if we don't go full time with this business, we probably never will. And that's what it took was that, that situation. So we packed up, got all our stuff in a U-Haul and on the way back to Birmingham, I was sitting there calling people, you know, hey, you know, you need help. You know, we had talked a few months ago, just kind of following up with my old leads. And uh, really, I think the thing that's really helped me the most is just getting out and networking in the community. And that's kind of what I want to talk about today is how the TSP business directory in a lot of ways can give you that credibility you get by being in a networking group in your local community. So – before we get into the directory, you know, you've had a few weeks, uh, you know, since you quit. How has that been? And and what might you suggest for somebody that, you know, is in the same boat? Because I think there's people every day that get into this point where, like, I'm ready to go do this. I mean, I, I've told the story. There was a day that I, I realized I was, like, leaving. I was going home. And I wasn't really ready to do that yet, but I was I was so fed up, I was so pissed off, and I made the mistake of listening to Gary Vanderchuk that you know, almost like drove home and left a company I actually had ownership in. Um, so there's a point where you got to do it, but you know you got to you got to deal with it once you do it. So kind of what has been the experience since you've made that that call and did it? Uh, basically, juggling many priorities and wearing many hats. So I mean, right now I'm staring at a stack of invoices and stack of receipts and it's like you know i've got to do accounts receivable accounts payable um you know i've got to go out and market i've got to do sales i've got to do everything so um i would say to be ready for that and you know don't plan on having very many weekends the first few months and probably the most important thing you can do from from my standpoint and my experience is Find good networking events. If you've got a major city near you, a lot of them are free. You can join something like BNI or iRefer or a program like that. Um, and basically you pay a yearly membership, but the whole purpose of those organizations is to get your face in front of people every week, practice a sales pitch, and um, you know to refer people you meet in your everyday life to other people in your group and kind of have that referral business going on. So if you get if you get plugged into a local community like that and uh, develop that level of trust with other members, it pays dividends in the long run. I'm I'm starting to see that even just at two months in. You know, you you kind of give me a flashback to when I was kind of starting things up completely on my own, uh, not really for TSP but for another venture. And of the of the leads groups that I uh, worked with, there's one I, I've completely forgot about these people, but they're called the Tip. L E T I P La Tip. And people might want to look that up. And there's 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 good ones and bad ones, but a well run La Tip group is probably the best leads group I've ever seen. And it's it's kind of regimented where if you're not providing 
referrals yourself for a certain amount of time, then you've got to go elsewhere. So it's, it's really incentivizes people to be doing exchanges and things like that. So I just wanted to throw that in there. I don't know if you've ever heard of those guys or not, but that's a, especially for IT, telecom, stuff like that was, was really valuable to me. No, I'm going to have to look that up and see if we've got one here in Birmingham. Um, cause that's really what it's all about. You know, um, starting out, I don't do so much work as far as project management goes most days. It's mostly going out and meeting people. Absolutely. Um, I have to save that for the weekend, you know, and uh, if you don't get out in front of people, if you don't find a way to meet people, you're probably not going to be successful very long because, I mean, you know, you've got to have a customer base and you've got to grow it, and that's probably the most low-cost way to do that starting out. So not to turn this into a commercial for LaTip, but I just Googled it to make sure I remembered it right, and it is letip.com, LaTip. Um, that's something those of you in business out there may want to look at. But let's talk about another way that they can uh, kind of you know get some exposure as, as a person starting out in business. Um, for people that may not already be familiar with the TSP business directory that are listening maybe for the first time today, can you kind of talk about what the TSP directory, uh, business directory is? Okay, so take that concept I just mentioned about building trust in a local community. Um, we've already got that built into the TSP community to some degree. And what the directory is is a low-cost way for members of the audience who already have a business or want to start a business to become a part of that community. We've got it set up to where you can list. You've got several different options to list your business on the site. Um, when you do that, you go into a rotation to where, you know, Jack, you will mention the business at the end of a show and put out a little blurb out there about what the business does and what they're about and maybe just mention their website or a phone number. Um, and getting back to the trust thing, we've got a rating system built in. It's a lot like Yelp um, without their business practices, but, um, You know, basically, um, you can go on there and rate somebody. And if somebody's not doing a good job, you know, the community is going to pick that out. And, I, you know, I'd really encourage everybody, you know, in your audience that hasn't got on there yet and just look through the businesses. Go in there and see if there's somebody you can connect with, somebody you can maybe reach out to, form a relationship and uh, work with them. Because, you know, we've got everything on there from legal service to Children's books to seeds to ammo, everything. Um, it's pretty much just about as diverse as uh, the TSP, you know, shows are. I mean, Jack, you go from talking about guns to gardening to, you know, automation in one show. Um, so we get kind of the same mix in the directory. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think, like, you know, you talk about trust. So there's a certain amount of trust inherent to the fact that you're part of this community. I don't. I don't know about you, but having looked at the people listing their businesses, I don't think we're attracting people coming into our directory right now that don't know anything about TSP and, oh, here's a business directory. So it seems like the, the all of the businesses that are there now are you know businesses that are part of this community in some way. So that gets trust. But the other side, you mentioned the reviews. So when you read an Amazon review, I'm not saying they're not useful because I certainly, when I'm making purchasing decisions and I see, you know, a thousand people bought something on Amazon and 900 of them gave it five stars, that matters to me. But when I see one review on the TSP business directory, I know that not only the, the provider, but the reviewer is part of this community. And to me, that's a lot of trust as well. Yeah. So, so Jack, um, 
I've actually seen, you know, where people are selling Amazon reviews. I don't know if that's still a thing or not, but I've seen it in the past. So when you get in the world of online reviews, I mentioned Yelp earlier and some of their practices, you know, it's, it's kind of like until you go on to Yelp or, or get in touch with somebody in their call center and set up an account, basically pay them money. For some reason, all the negative reviews stay at the top and the other ones are hidden. So, you know, the way we're doing this, it's really community driven. And, you know, like you, I don't see a lot of people on there, you know, that haven't listened to the show. I mean, it's pretty obvious. You know, most of the businesses on there, you can tell they've either they've either been interviewed or somebody you can just tell because you see them in Facebook all the time or on the forums. They're part of this community. You know, it's not just somebody trying to increase their site traffic. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, what we're trying to do is kind of take like the concept of local community and make it, you know, national slash global. Um, I would love to do the majority of my business within, you know, 10 miles of my house. But you know what the problem is, right? Um, a lot of the stuff I want, I can't get it there. Right? It's just not there. I, I don't have somebody, you know, down the road that's making, uh, for like, for example, Second Amendment jewelry, making jewelry out of like shell casings. I think that's cool as crap. And if there was somebody here doing it, I'd be happy to keep my money in my local community. But they're not there. But this community, this larger TSP community, to me, I have a stronger bond, I think, with many members of this community than I do with people that live down the road. And I, I know there's this big move toward acting local and, and what have you. But again, um, I think community is about more than just where your house is. Exactly. And, you know, a big part of that, not just acting locally or shopping locally, I think a big thing should be shopping with small business because, um, you know, if you're from the libertarian or the anarchist mindset, you know, you understand to some degree that a lot of these big companies out there get where they are and then they stay where they are because of basically buying legislation you know, buying regulation, making it to where it's harder to enter that industry. So to me, it's kind of a form of um, proactive apathy like you talk about a lot. You know, can I do business with a little guy instead of a big company and get the same quality? And if I can, a lot of times I'm willing to pay a little bit more money because, you know, I'm dealing with somebody that I can pick up the phone and call versus a call center. Um, and to me, that's important. And like in my business, I share horror stories sometimes about um, hosting through some of these big companies. A uh, perfect example would be one of our customers had a credit card on file GoDaddy, and their domain was up for renewal. They put a bunch of work in the domain, so, you know, obviously GoDaddy is going to say it's more valuable now than it was three years ago. Yeah, yeah. Well, they changed their phone number, too. They changed their phone number, their credit card expires, and then – you know, after three or four attempts to get in touch with them, GoDaddy shuts it down. And they finally got somebody at the call center who could sort it out. And when they did, instead of the usual, you know, five, ten, fifteen dollar renewal for their domain, that GoDaddy wanted hundreds of dollars. So that's the kind of thing you get with a big company because it's just too cumbersome versus if you're dealing with a small business, most of the time I think you get better service and then you combine that with a community policing we've got with a rating system, it's just a big win for everybody, I think. Can you talk about some of the things that you feel make this directory so important to our community? Well, Jack, I think it's really just 
kind of a, a springboard into business for a lot of people who are trying to get there because uh, perfect examples in my case, um, you know, I can count at least a half dozen closed sales directly from the TSP business directory. Um, and I've reached out to other members of the community trying to, you know, do work with them as much as possible for things I need, whether it's, uh, you know, screen printing T-shirts, printing up business cards, things of the sort like that. Um, so it's really a good value for somebody that's trying to get into that business ownership world. And, uh, you know, if you're thinking about making that leap, I would really encourage it because you just you can't beat the flexibility. Um, about a month into this, you know, my wife went to the hospital for surgery. And, Jack, I spent five days sitting there in one of those, you know, uncomfortable couch seats in the hospital working on my laptop. You know, I couldn't have done that before without taking time off work and then you take so much time off and it's like okay when are you coming back so just the flexibility and being able to get that um hand up you know to get you started in business is a tremendous value to the community i mean i was talking to you know you didn't hear the intro segment today but you know preparedness part of preparedness is is, is mitigation so at some point you get back to the old statement of the the best defense is a good offense and being able to, you know, found and successfully develop your own business is a big part of that offense, right? Because that's what you're talking about there. It's basically entrepreneurship as a preparedness step. That's right. And, you know, the flexibility that comes with that, if I need to move across the country because there's a natural disaster or a family disaster, you know, I've got to go take care of a loved one that's over in, say, Arizona, California, something like that. Um, it doesn't take much to move this business, um, and I know not every industry is like that, but for me, I could pick up and move next month, and it really wouldn't be that disruptive to me. So it's a big thing for preparedness just because of the flexibility you get um, owning your own business. You know, worst-case scenario, you're not going to fire yourself, but, you know, um, if it gets down to it, you can fire some clients. So, you know, um, if you need to move, just move. Yeah, I think there's a, a huge case for that. And, you know, you've, you've worked really hard on this thing and it's, it's a good product now, but, you know, you've told me this is not a static product that we're going to get to a point and be done with. We're going to keep improving it so that it better serves people. So you've got some new features you plan on adding to the directory in the coming re weeks, right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, first of all, I want to do a Facebook and Twitter share widget. So, What that is is if you like one of the listings, you think it's neat, like you mentioned, the um, Second Amendment jewelry, you know, that would be a great thing to share on Facebook. And it's a value add to the businesses that are listed there because they get that social media exposure because not everybody in your friend list listens to TSP. But if you share it, you're exposing them to products and services from the TSP community that they wouldn't see anywhere else. So I want to add that in the next few days. Um, I want to add discount badges, and what that is is a lot of the businesses in there have been putting in discounts, whether it's 5%, 10%, 15%. <laughs> so I want to add a badge that you can hit a radio button and add that directly on there, and you'll have an icon that displays a discount that your business is offering to the TSP community. And uh, something we mentioned, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago was – going ahead and blogging about uh, a featured business every week. So I'm going to start that this weekend, Jack. I'm going to go down the list and start with the first business and 
put a blog on the site, and not only that, but share it on the Facebook page. So, you know, right now I think you're up to about 113,000 likes. Is that correct on Facebook? Yeah, that's correct. And just so everybody knows what what Blake means here with blogging, he's not talking about his blog for Blake Development. He's talking about the TSP blog. So we're going to start featuring members of the TSP Business Directory on the you know the main page of the TSP blog. It'll go out in the email list. That goes out to over twenty five thousand people um, on Facebook. Yeah, it's a, the Facebook page, one hundred and thirteen thousand likes or something like that. Plus, I share it. You know, anything that goes on the blog, I share on my Twitter account, which is. 15,000 or something like that followers. And then additionally on Facebook, I share it on my personal page and I have thousands of followers and thousands of, you know, friends and we share it on the, the, the Facebook forum as well, which is like 3000 members. But those members are like, they're like super, you know, community members there. So that's, that's a lot of exposure, you know, and I think part of why we're doing that is it just so that more people will sign up for it, but we want it to work really good for people. We want as much interaction as we can get. Cause I, I think you'd agree. Not only do we want people doing business with each other, we would like, I think both of us would like to see that review feature used more often. Yeah, I really would because that was one of the key features that we wanted to put in there was that community policing and kind of keeping everybody accountable. And it gets back to that same concept of if you sit across from somebody every week and, You know, you do business with them, you trade referrals. If you do a bad job, eventually it's going to come to light. And so that's one of the features that I wanted to kind of highlight with a directory. And I, I also wanted to mention something else. I don't think a lot of people are taking advantage of this, but when you do the blurbs, I've, I've basically written those out based off of everybody's listing. So I just wanted to put this out there right now. If somebody wants to do something like a promotion or something like that and it fits in a sentence or less, maybe two sentences, send me an email. It's a directory at the survivalpodcast.com. And I can change that out. So Jack, when you read that on the air, instead of just the generic, you know, whatever they had in their description on the business directory, we can put something in there like, you know, um, buy one, get one free, something like that. Um, so nobody's really taken advantage of that yet, but I'd be open to the opportunity to do that. If you want to change up what goes out on the blurb at the end of the show, just send me an email and I can make that change. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's like, you know, maybe I haven't really done a good job of making people know that's even a possibility. I've been struggling with massive laryngitis for the, uh, the past couple of weeks and, I mean, we'll just go ahead and, and knock this out now. Uh, we'll do our uh, a blurb for today to give you guys an idea of the format. So every day, not every day, but I would say three to four days a week, I feature one of the TSP Business Directory supporters on the show. Today's supporter is Lilac City Real Estate, a veteran-owned and operated firm out of Washington State, specializing in survival retreats, permaculture properties, and homesteads. Check out their listing in the TSP Business Directory. And that's the kind of thing we're talking about is that type of exposure on TSP. And, uh, you know, it's not like a weekly thing. It's not like our sponsors or anything like that that, that are, frankly, spending a hell of a lot more money for being featured on the show. But every time that happens... You've got this small business going out to 150,000 people. I don't know anywhere else in the world that you can get that kind of exposure for the small amount of money we require to be part of the directory. That's right. And, I mean, if you start out at a basic listing, you're looking at $5 subscription for six months. You're looking at less than uh, $1 a month for exposure to, you know, 150,000 member audience, Um 
And when we start adding these other features like Facebook Share and we start posting on Facebook and we start blogging about the businesses on the TSP site, I think that's going to be a big value add because, you know, I just looked at it this morning. I think a hundred, no, I'm sorry, it was 78,000 was the post reach today on Facebook. So, um, it's a big As of audience. this morning, right? I mean, as of this morning, I mean, it's, I'm looking at the clock and it's 1.35 in the afternoon. Um, you know, it's probably over 80,000 by now, I would imagine. And, uh, to be a small business owner, you know, you understand really fast that you're limited in marketing budget. And to me, the value of that is just, it's unparalleled anywhere else in the marketplace. Um, you know, you can do a, we've got bronze, silver, and gold categories. You could do a bronze listing for $60 a year. So, you know, $5 a month, that gets you a longer description. It gets you images on the site. It gets you on the Google map. So you're showing up on the main page for the directory. Um, there's just so many features you get as a small business owner in all those categories. And, and also, I'd like to speak for a minute about the featured listing. I don't think a lot of people really understand what that is. It's basically a one-time fee, $39.99, less than 40 bucks, and it makes your listing sticky. What that means is if you're listing, let's say you're the 10th person in your category, the 12th person, whatever, if nobody else in that business category has purchased a featured listing, you go to the top. And if they have, you're right up there at the top with them. So it bumps you above automatically everybody that's not in that category. And, uh, you know, if you know anything about search engine marketing and, and placement and all that, you realize that human nature, most of us, if we go to Google, we're going to look at the first four things and click on one of those. And a lot of times, I hate to say it, but in the business directory, the same thing probably applies. So that's just another feature you can take advantage of. Um, if you're a member of the community and you've got your business listed. Very cool, man. So when we, when we found this directory, and I think people need to understand, like I kind of mentioned in the intro segment that you weren't here for, but, um, it's not just a directory. It's, it's got like, uh, like 20 modules that, that are bolted onto it that, that allow all these different things, like, you know, so that we can set it up to be charged at different levels and provide a hierarchy and the reviews and the maps and all that stuff. And it was like, it was pretty cheap if I just got it for one site, but it was a significant investment to get it where we own the software for as many sites as we want. And when I saw it, I went, I can make AgriTrue work with this. And I, I said, you know, if we get this to work, would you do the AgriTrue site and, and fix it and uh, make it what I wanted it to be? And if you will, I'll invest in the full software suite. So you said yes, and I did. And I was like, do the directory first. We have to do this first. We've promised it. But you've been working on AgriTrue, uh, and it's ready to go. Can you talk about that for a moment, like, you know, how, how that works for people and, you know, how it's different a little bit? <laughs> sure. So the dilemma with AgriTrue, I think, from the beginning was, you know, how do we make this certification that gets around the problems of USDA organic where it's high barrier to entry to farmers, there's a big risk converting over, um, and there's just so much, so many loopholes they have to go through to actually meet that standard. And some of those make sense, some of them don't. Um, so the idea was how do we, how do we kind of police and put a standard in force that meets those regenerative agriculture principles that we want to have, 
but at the same time makes it easy for the guy that's just starting out or the small farm that's only got a few acres to have access to that certification. And um, I think the best idea we came up with, you know, shortly after we started the business directory, like you said, was to go ahead and make it kind of a, a community policed thing to where, you know, you can agree to the certification standard, but we're not going to send, you know, we're not going to have the agri-true police come out to your farm every other year. <laughs> I'm going to um, stop you just for a second. I'm going to promise right now, no matter how big agri-true becomes, there will never be an agri-true police. We will not be Monsanto. Go, go ahead. I right. Just, I find that funny right, as hell. Exactly. Yeah, so there's, there's no, there's no real policing mechanism other than, you know, if you're a bad actor, it's going to show, um, because we've got that rating mechanism in place. And, uh, you know, we really encourage people if, if you want to list your farm, you know, open your farm up, you know, let people come out toward the farm. That's really just a benefit to you because it gets you that community exposure. So we're setting it up as a directory, but in addition to the directory feature, um, it's going to be a food certification. So, and the site's actually live now. If you had a farm and you wanted to list, you could go to agritrue.com and get listed today. And, uh, you'd have access immediately to our product packaging labels. So what that is, we've got some labels you can put on your product, whether it's, you know, um, grass fed beef, whether it's a pack of tomatoes, whatever. And uh, you have access to that, and you get that name recognition, you know, we're GMO-free, we're AgriTrue certified, and it's really a good advantage for these small farms that can't afford to convert to USDA organic or can't, even though they're doing everything right, can't meet the standard. You know, on that, one of the things that my – so let me – Back everybody up that maybe isn't familiar with AgriTrue because it started so dadgone long ago. I said in the intro, I said it started when I was in Arkansas. And the story of how it ended up to where I have you actually running it today. So I, I came up with this idea, and I, I was I was fed up with the way the USDA organic program ran because you can do some pretty disgusting things and be an organic farmer. You can also be a wonderful farmer and be an organic farmer. The, the, the choice is yours. And my other problem with it is I'm – not real big on government solutions. And the organic label started out as really an anarchist idea. It, the government didn't have control over it. It was just kind of out there. And then the government managed to seize control of it and, and, and determines who can and cannot use the word, which is kind of ridiculous to me because, you know, organic is basically carbon-based things. Are All carbon-based things are organic, right? So it, it, it's a, a misappropriation of a word. So we came up with this word, agritrue, that was designed to be set apart. Like, you don't find that word ever there were anywhere else in the English language. So when you say it's agritrue, it means whatever the agritrue people, which is us, say it is. And we initially wanted to be, like, completely purist, right? So we wanted to exclude GMOs because that was one of the biggest driving forces is that we are very anti-GMO. And I and the other Permaethos partners, I think you yourself, we don't like GMOs. We don't think they're a good thing. But we, we also looked at this thing overall and said, well, wait a minute. As we started talking about this, we started hearing from small producers saying, listen, man, I'm raising pasture-raised chickens, for instance, and we do everything Joel Salatin style or Darby Simpson style, and we are producing an amazing product. But our feed, it's a, it's got GMO grain in it because that's what we can get where we are and stay in business. 
And, and I thought about that, and I thought about some of the, the, the poultry we produced at Perma Ethos for that very reason, and the quality compared to Purdue or Tyson and the stink of that packaging when you opened it, I thought, you know, that's fantastic. And, and I, I think you and I share a lot of libertarian, minarchist, anarchist principles like you and I. And my thought was, well, why don't we make this amazing product available and let the customer make the final decision? So what we ended up doing was deciding we'll just designate it GMO versus non-GMO. And and I had pretty much made that decision before, you know, AgriTrue 2.0, which is I guess what we would call this. But what had happened, folks, is I had gotten two people that were very motivated, but one was not a guy like Blake. He was just kind of motivated to the message. And the other guy was a programmer, and he was like, I would describe him as a nervous, nilly programmer. Like, he couldn't just do shit. He was always worried that it wouldn't work right, or the server would crash if too many people came on. I'm like, no, listen, man, you, if that happens, we don't have a problem, you know. And he just couldn't get the functionality down. So for those of you that were part of the old AgriTree, what I want to say is the only way to fix it was to blow it up. So when, when Blake was handed this, he was handed a domain name and server space and the directory script and told to customize it. I took, I, when I, when I took back control over AgriTrue from the other two partners, and at that one point it was a corporation. It was divided actually among four partners. One fell out. Then we dissolved the corporation. We made it kind of in a letter of agreement. And the day I got in my hands an acknowledgement from both of them that they were out and they were okay with whatever I did with it, I said, delete everything you've done. It is a disaster. And so when Blake took this on, we started from scratch. But I feel like we have a product that works now. And, and, and I'd like to thank you for building that product, Blake. Well, Jack, it's really – it's been an honor because like you mentioned, um, we share a lot of the same ideas about you know libertarianism and also I guess the cleanliness of food when you get right down to it. And, and getting back to the chickens um, – you know, it's it's funny because you can go to the store and buy, quote, cage-free chickens, eggs, right? And those eggs, I mean, if you actually see where they're produced, the chickens have like this, I don't know, 20 by 20 concrete pad, and they never go outside, but they're considered cage-free. And that's that's the state of USDA organic today. I yeah. mean, that's where we're at. It's a, it's a joke. So, you know, to me, it's about educating the customer and – um Showing them that, you know, pastured animals, you know, clean food, that kind of thing, um, there's more to it than just the USDA organic certification. Um, and it was kind of a bit of controversy, I guess, because we got the site live. I reached out to uh, Wendy Bow of Winniper Farms up in Wisconsin and kind of got her to help me test it out. You know, we listed her farm, and she gave me some feedback from a local um, – farmer's market she went to that some people were asking about the certification and saying, well, it allows GMOs. And and so really what I tried to do after we had that conversation was put some information out there on the AgriTrue site about what exactly we allow and what we don't allow and the reasoning behind it. Um, so first of all, we don't allow any kind of GMO plants to be grown because, you know, you and I think we can both agree we're pretty much opposed to that. And, and the, the um, small grower has no excuse for that. They don't have to do that, right? That's that's the big right. thing to me, right? Right. They don't have to, but just let me share you my personal experience. We got when I started listening to the Survival Podcast, you know, we kind of got into the whole 
homesteading thing around here and we've had chickens probably the past five years you know just enough to you know i say to have omelet night every wednesday and and eat eggs for breakfast and uh when i first got into that you know we've got a local feed and grain and the average farmer in the u.s is what i don't know 65 or older yep so they kind of cater to that mentality of we're going to do everything conventional, chemical, spray, spray, spray. And when I go in there and ask for organic chicken feed or ask for GMO-free chicken feed, um, they look at you like you're from Mars. And uh, so I think what it takes really with AgriTrue is we've got to get enough of these farms signed up, you know, small-scale producers – to where there's three or four people in a market that are into that and they want to go GMO free and they can put pressure on that local economy to provide that product. And and what I found was about two or three years into it, I went and talked to them again. They had a new owner take over and found out that at that point it was me and three other people that were looking to feed GMO free chicken feed. So now there's a market here, and now they're able to put it on the shelves. I mean, granted, you know, there's four bags at any given time of GMO-free, and then there's pallets and pallets of conventional chicken feed. But we were able to influence the local market, me and three other people. Um, and that's kind of what I wanted to do with AgriTrue was to make it to where the small producer that can't get GMO-free – but they're doing everything else right. They've got their birds out on pasture. They're out in the sun. They're eating grass. They're eating bugs. You know, they have access to the standard, and they have access to the branding on their products. And, uh, you know, it's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. But I think what happens sometimes with, you know, the regenerative agriculture movement, permaculture, a lot of people get in this mindset of perfection, if it's not 100%, it's just not good enough, and they don't want to do it. And to me, that's really just the wrong attitude because my experience is, you know, if an animal has access to nature, um, you've got a superior product than anything at the store, even USDA organic. And so it's all about – AgriTrue is all about educating the consumer about that reality. Well, and I mean it's like it's, like, it's also a stepping stone, right? So let's say you got a guy that goes out. He, he's not going to try to be Joel Salton tomorrow and raise 20,000 birds or something like that. He's, he says, I'm going to take a, a shot at this. I'm going to raise 50 birds my first rotation, which is what Joel recommends. I'm going to kind of give them away and do the friends and family thing to build a market. And then if that works, I'm going to run, you know, 250 birds. And he goes down to the feed store and either he can't get a non-GMO feed or it's because it's such a niche, they're charging three times as much and he can't sell his product. Now he can't even get out of the gate. He can't even begin to develop his consumer base. He's not he's not going to run a thousand birds at first, so he can't even make a, a deal. And then sometimes he goes down there and he just can't, like you said, he just can't get it. For us in in West Virginia, when we ran birds on the Perma Ethos farm, it was not an option. We would have had to drive 250 miles to get food. Okay, so it was just not going to work with where we were at at the time. That person never then gets started, they never build a market, and they never have any clout. Where if they can build that market and we can help them do it, and they can do their 50 birds, and they can show the quality of it, and then they can take orders, and they can get in orders for 250 on their next run, and they run that next run, and then they really have happy customers, they now have a customer base. And they can go to that customer base and say, listen, guys, 
if I know I can run 500 birds next time and I know I can commit to two totes of feed and have it delivered, I can go to a non-GMO feed. This is what it's going to do to the cost of the product. Do you want it or not? But if you don't give that person that shot, that opportunity never comes. And I think that's tragic. And I, I think you and I would both agree, if you told me you could have a USDA organic chicken that was grown in a chicken house and still walked in its own crap, right, but was fed non-GMO feed, or you could have a pastured bird that was fed GMO feed, we'd probably take the second one. I know I would. Right. I'd take that any day of the week um, over the USDA organic because I know it's a better product. And, you know, I think what you said about, you know, getting people signed up, you know, for the next season, um, it's all about scale. And, you know, I'm paying about $5 more bag um Even though I can get GMO-free here, it costs more. And that really gets back to AgriTrue being a way to get kind of a hand up and kind of some help growing your business. Um, so if we get farms that start out, um, you know, with a few birds and then they work up to that level, suddenly it's an economy of scale thing to where the price can come down. And, you know, I'm sure you'll agree with me on this. That's kind of my goal with this is to make it more affordable Um, for people to do the right thing. Absolutely, because then people will tend to do the right thing when they can afford to do it or when they even have the opportunity to do it. Again, I've talked to so many small producers that say, listen, man, I just it's not, a, it's not even a money thing. I do not have availability in my market, um, especially like – so our product that we use here is called Texas Naturals. It's not USDA organic, but it is GMO-free. But it's also soy-free. So we wanted to make that. So we're able to tell that story, and I think that's what we need is more producers being able to tell their story, and that's what we're trying to enable. And I think we should talk about what we don't allow. You already mentioned if you are a, you know, you're producing a grain product or you're producing a vegetable product or something like that versus a livestock, we do not offer any certification whatsoever if you're actually producing GMOs. So we're, we're, we're non-GMO from that standpoint. We also don't allow any type of use of, let's say, antibiotics on your animals unless it's for, you know, the, the animal got a gash. and it's. It, see, this is one of the things I think is dumb about USDA organic. Let's say you have a lot of money in dairy cow. Dairy cow happens to get hung up on some barbed wire, gets a, a gash, and you use appropriate use of an antibiotic. Um, we would say that that cow should be treated. And her product should not be sold as an agri-true product until the, the course of antibiotics is over. And then, okay, now it, it, it's run its course. We're in USDA Organic, they end up selling that cow because it can never be used to produce organic dairy again. Well, this is, this is insane. It doesn't make any sense. So we're trying to solve that problem as well. We don't allow chemical fertilizers, chemical herbicides. You know, basically the products that would be okay in an organic program are okay in our program, but there has to be a care quality as well. So we require producers to, to be taking care of their soil, to have a soil management program. We don't tell them what it got to be, but we, we, we require that there be one. Um, we require humane treatment of animals. And I think maybe over the years as we build up a community and have it be self-policing, maybe we'll provide more guidance to that. But I think that we can all agree what is inhumane. And, and when we look at inhumane conditions, if we have someone out there that says they're AgriTrue certified, somebody goes by their farm to pick stuff up and sees inhumane conditions and writes a review, and we're able to verify that it's not just like a sniper review, we'll throw them out. You know, we'll even give them their money back. You just go away. You're not part of this. And so I think that in many ways we actually have a much higher standard 
than what people are looking for with organic. And I think we both agree that we, we live for the day when we can say, okay, guys, no GMO feed. There's no longer an excuse. But until we get there, we're not going to exclude people who are doing the best they can. Yeah, absolutely right, and I'd, I'd like to go back to your example of the cows in the USDA organic program um, and just mention that from a certain standpoint, Jack, that's it's not insane. It makes perfect sense, and that's the standpoint of um, keeping people from getting into the program that are smaller producers and kind of well, protecting that entrenched big business interest. And, uh, you know, any government program, you're going to get that. USDA Organic was probably set up with the best of intentions. And then what happened over time, the big businesses co-opted it, and now it's set up to protect their interests. So from that standpoint, it's actually not insane. It's actually um, – <laughs> I hate to say this, but it's actually a good way to protect a product if you're, you know, if you're that big company um, from competition. And sure, that's because what we're if, I'm, to get if I'm like a dairy farmer with a thousand cattle and I lose one, pff, big deal, right? But if I'm if I'm a small dairy producer with five cows and I have to give up one of my producing cows, I just lost 20% of my my headstock. And who can yeah, afford so it? Who can afford it? And who can't? That's what you're saying, right? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. I mean, it's all a numbers game. For the small guy, you know, that's so much of his revenue versus for the big farm, um, you know, corporate controlled. Um, it's an acceptable loss, and it's a loss they're more than happy to take because the other guy that it makes up 20% of his revenue for the year, it keeps him from being a viable competitor. So it's only natural that they love those features of the standard, just like any other government program that regulates an industry. Um, you're going to find that same kind of thing. It always ends up set up with good intentions, and then it turns into, well, how can we protect our interest and keep new innovative companies out of the niche? Absolutely. And I think we should maybe talk a little bit more about like the AgriTrue vision that's, that's maybe bigger than the, the business directory. So our intention with the business directory is to make it the, the most badass thing we can and, and make it a huge part of the TSP community, which is very large. But it is, you know, it's about 150,000-ish people. Uh, so I think it's very good for that. Where with AgriTrue, you know, AgriTrue is basically now a wholly owned website by PermaEthos. So PermaEthos and the work I do through the Regenerative Ag Group and all is a big piece of TSP, but it's also got its whole other piece that's out there for people that don't. There's people that are involved with that that don't know hide nor hair of the Survival Podcast. And our goal with AgriTrue is to make it a much more large, broad market product. We want it to be something that somebody go, oh, yeah, AgriTrue certified. I heard of that. That's a good thing. You know who Jack Spierko is? No, I don't know him from Adam. That's fine with me, you know, I, I, because that's what I, I want to go out and I want to make people realize like the size of this local food market is, is not measured in the hundreds of thousands. It's measured in the millions. And, and that's our goal is to reach into that market and to help people find each other and to also give a certain level of assurance of the quality of product. And I think it's this is a great time to get involved because what we need to make it work now is we need people from this community and from these other uh, satellite communities to get involved and list their business. And we, we've made it very affordable to do that. And, again, anybody that was part of the first time around that's like, well, you know, we set up our business on there and all, it's worth doing it again. And, and again, I, I, I'm a person, and I think we're talking about you know starting businesses today, Blake. 
I don't believe in giving up, but I do believe in going, that didn't work. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to start over. And, and that's what we did here, and I think we've done it in, in a very, very positive way. And I'd like you know, to kind of get this thing rolling through the end of the year, but I'd like to hit, like, as we go into the new year, you know, getting people going out, like you said, going out to farmer's markets and telling people you're already buying from about this because that's what will make it successful. It's going to be one of these things like where you're pushing the bike up the hill, you know, because you've gotten to a certain point where you can't even ride it anymore, and it, we're going to have to do a lot of pushing in the beginning because right now there's just not a lot of people listed. Um, but when a consumer can go there and find four or five vendors that are, are nearby, um, then it starts to have value to the, the user, and then it really starts to build for everybody. So it's, it's kind of a pioneer thing we're asking you guys to step into. And, again, I know some of you did it before, um, but this is different, right? Like we, I, I pushed so hard to get those other guys to get something done that I was willing to settle for something and give it a shot where in this case it actually does what it's supposed to do from day one. So I'd really appreciate people getting involved. And I think people need to think maybe a little broader, too, about, like, well, do I qualify for AgriTrue? If you're producing food, yes. So if you're a beekeeper, list your honey. You know what I mean? Like, like, like if you're a uh, somebody operating under cottage food law and you know the source of your your product, list your business. So you might not be producing the food, but if you know your sources and you know your sources qualify, then your product can be certified. So if you're doing, you know, preserves or something like there was a gal from this audience that she's producing these food products and selling them at her local farmer's market that she's now basically like uh, a co-manager of the whole market itself. And her deal is everything that she produces has at least one item grown in her, her, uh, her backyard. But she's sourcing like, you know, heirloom flour and she's making an amaranth tortilla that has amaranth from her yard. But the, 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 the heirloom flour is from another producer. But there's no reason that product couldn't be AgriTree certified. As long as you know and you can, you know, vouch for the source of the, the ingredients in your product. And then if you're doing that, tell those people, hey, look, I'm marketing this under the AgriTree label. You should as well. And if we can build that, then we can really take this community thing up a level. And, and the truth is there's nothing like this out there. There's some sites that help you find producers, but there's none that hold them to a standard. And um, this is something that took five years now to come to fruition. And, and again, thank you for building it because I sure as hell couldn't have built it myself. <laughs> well, yes, it was it was sort of a labor of love, really, because, you know, like I mentioned, um, you know, I got into this years ago when I started listening to you and – um, it's really important to me, you know, I've got an 11 year old kid. I mean, you know, I don't want him to grow up in a world where you don't know what's in the food you're eating. So, um, you know, it's all about building those local communities. And, and like you said, I really hope we get to the point where if I go to my local farmer's market in any city, anywhere in the country, I'm going to see that AgriTrue label on at least a few stands and I'm going to know I can do business with that person and trust them based off of that community of trust. Absolutely. And I think we'll continue just like we're going to do with the directory, uh, the business directory to continue to improve what AgriTrue can do. There's a lot of stuff that's kind of under the hood with this software we built that can be slowly added as we go. And what we need is some success to be able to reinvest and do that. So kind of asking you guys to step up. Now on the other note, as we finish up today, um, I can vouch for Blake as a developer because I've used him on at least two projects now that you guys are aware of. And uh, that's why I try to recommend people. And that's part of the business directory is recommending that, who you know, what you use. But, 
you know, he does a good job. So, Blake, can you, you know, I'm sure you'd like to help other people out there that have any development needs. Can you talk about what you can do for people beyond these two, uh, these two, you know, websites and, uh, you know, how they can get in touch with you and things like that? Sure, Jack. Well, beyond that, um, you know, basically working web development and also design. So, um, under the umbrella of design, you know, we can do everything from logos, business cards, you know, get that set up so you're ready to go print it. Um, and I'm really starting to work more and more in search engine marketing, whether it's SEO or SEM, and, and they are two different things, and kind of helping businesses with things like um, how do we generate leads off Facebook? You know, how do we – what's the best strategy for getting on page one on different keywords? And, you know, I think me and you have had conversations in the past before, and, and you know, I'll admit, too, that there's a lot of people in that industry that you just can't trust. Um, yeah, if you list all. a website, yeah, if, if you list a website, um, and it's, you know, it's not private, um, within about a day or two of registering the domain, you're going to have 15 phone calls, you know, people wanting to do SEO, wanting to help you build the site. And a lot of that's just, they're getting that who is directory and they're going down there and hitting all the newly registered domains. And, you know, a lot of those companies, um, you know, I don't know how reputable they really are. So, I'm trying to move into that space and trying to hopefully uh, give people an option that's not, you know, just some guy you don't know off the street and it's actually a reputable company. It's actually going to do the work because, you know, with search engine marketing, um, to a lot of people it's voodoo and, you know, you don't really know what goes into it. Um, and so it's really open for abuse. So I'm trying to branch out and do more SEO work for people and help them rank, especially locally, because it's so much easier to rank on page one. Like, you know, let's say your business is building widgets. Okay, well, if I put in widgets, you know, that's kind of a, a global search term. If I put in, you know, widget company, Birmingham, Alabama, there's less competition to get on page one. So that's an area I'm trying to work on more is helping people out, um, with getting exposure in their local community on Google, Bing, whatever. Because at the end of the day, you know, here in, in the U.S., I read a study that I think 85% of people, when they want to look up a phone number for new business, they don't go to the Yellow Pages. They go to Google, they go to Bing, they go somewhere online. And I guarantee you every year that number is going to get bigger to where, you know, I don't know, maybe 2 or 3% of the population is still using the phone book in a few years. I mean, I – I don't even know what the thing is anymore. I haven't seen one in so long. So it's funny every that's once in a while thing. somebody posts a picture of one on Facebook and said, "Why did they deliver this to me?" or something. That's and I guess they don't bring them here anymore. But I, I haven't seen one either. But you're right, and it, that's that's a big thing. And uh, like so, the majority of traction that helped build TSP was word of mouth. But the word of mouth came from people that were the first users of the site. And that all came from SEO. I mean, I did very little paid advertising. So I built my business on this stuff so I know that it works if you have the right person. Now, the, 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 the converse of that is I did this for 10 years. And I was good at it. So I was able to do it for myself. A lot of business people, you don't have time to learn all of this stuff. And even if you learn it, it's time consuming. And having someone that's quick and can do the right things quickly for you and get it done is really valuable. And I should throw out for you, you know, you've done the directory for me. You've done Agritree for me. You also did our Nine Mile Farm site. 
So people can go to Nine Mile Farm and see our, our local site. And let me tell you guys, I get 90% of Nine Mile Farm's business not from this huge exposure in my audience. I get it from search engine marketing, and I get it from local customers because, you know, my market is huge, but my Fort Worth market, not so big. But being listed for Fort Worth Duck Eggs number one on Google, I mean, we're in four restaurants because of that. Um, we're in, in two uh, farm-to-fork uh, stores because of that. That alone, we could sell every egg we, we produce because of just that. And, again, Blake built that site for me. He built it on WordPress because I was familiar with it, and I was able to edit it and add to it and what have you. So, guys, definitely check out Blake. And, again, your website, Blake? Yeah, so, actually, Jack, we're in the middle of rebranding. Uh, the new website is webology.technology, Webology Inc.'s the company. And uh, it's kind of a work in progress right now, but if you go there, you'll kind of see a video of, you know, what we do and services we offer. Um, if you want to go to the old site, it's blakedevelopment.net, or if you want to email me, it's blake at blakedevelopment.net. So, really looking forward to the new site, getting it off, up off the ground, and... Uh, Really pushing it hard in 2017. Very cool, man. Well, I want to thank you for all the work you've done for this community uh, and for being with us on the air today, Blake. Thanks, Jack. All right, great interview with Blake. You can see why I'm excited to have him as a partner and uh, working on these projects together. Um, as we wrap up today, I want to remind you guys, if you like this show and the work I do, if you want to see us continue to come out with amazing things like the Business Directory and AgriTrue and other things, you need to support the show. And the best way to support the show is to become a member of the Support Brigade. Um, it seems like this last year has been brutal with, uh, with PayPal subscriptions getting canceled, not really by the user, but by PayPal itself. If, you're, if your account has been canceled and you'd like to come home to the MSB and you'd like a special deal, Another get you off the fence and back in? Email me today, Jack at the Survival Podcast, with TSPC in the subject line. Put TSPC in the subject line and follow by the words, return to MSB. And I will give you a special, like, awesome deal to get you back in the MSB today. You'll have to ask for it. Everybody else, if you haven't been a member yet, do consider becoming a member. Just go to the survivalpodcast.com and click on members. And unlike PBS where I'm like, your support is important. Here's a tote bag worth three cents for your you know, $100 donation. That's not what we do. We give you discounts that will pay for your membership. We really do. Check it out today. Just go to survivalpodcast.com and click on members to learn more. Then the easy, simple way, and this is a great time of year to, to use this to support us. You listen to the show every day or even a couple times a week and you like it, you probably want to support it. And you're probably like, but I don't have the money to support it or the MSB doesn't do it for me. Well, if you buy anything on Amazon, just before you go to Amazon, go to TSPAS, T-S-P-A-Z, TSPAS.com, and click a link and go do your shopping on Amazon, and you'll support us. It's that simple. And we have a write-up every day for you um, of products on Amazon that I really use in my life. 90% of the time, they're actually products I use. Occasionally, they're recommended by uh, users, users, their listeners out there that say, hey, this works for me, and maybe I didn't need it myself, but I researched it and thought, but this is a product I use myself. And it's it's something different than anything I've ever had on, on the show before. It's called Miracle Heel Stick Instant Cracked Heel Relief. Um, I've had this problem. I know women use this product because, like, oh, their heels get rough and they can put their stockings on or whatever. And I, I really don't care if my heels are rough. I do care if they're cracked. 
and especially in winter with the dry winters in in uh, in Texas, as I'm out working a lot outside and, and really being hard on my feet, I'll get cracks on the back of my heels, and man, they hurt. This stuff is the only thing I found that really works to prevent it, and if you forget about it and let it happen, to make it go away really quick. It is also really great because some of the other stuff I've tried, like there's a blue can, I can't remember what it's called, it kind of works good, but you get it like all over your fingers and it's like half of it's wasted. This is a stick, so like you open it up like a, like a, like a roll-on deodorant or like a stick deodorant and you, you rub it on your heel. So what I do is I put my, my sock like halfway on and then I put it on the back of the heel and then just put the sock on over it. None of it's wasted and it works. It's made with aloe, uh, and other stuff. It is the best thing I found. It's called again, Miracle heel stick. And if you have cracked heels, you know it can suck. There's times where you don't notice it, you don't notice it, uh, and then all of a sudden, like, it hurts, right? It, it, and it's also a, a potential to get infection. And those of you that are diabetic, it can be dangerous infections that you get with low circulation plus cracked heels. This product is great. A lot of you guys have uh, really been excited about and very uh, happy with another product I've recommended, uh, Dr. Uh, Christopher's Tissue and Bone, which is a comfrey-based ointment. I would say this product, while for other things, is, is, is that good. Uh, there's not a lot of products like this you hear me recommend. So you know that I'm recommending a good one today. If you have cracked heels or if someone you know has cracked heels, consider getting this. Go through TSPAS. That uh, review is up on the website today like it always is. But again, the product is called Miracle Heel Stick. And uh, remember, all these reviews I do on Amazon, I do them to educate you and inform you. I am not paid by the manufacturer. If you buy them through TSPAS, I get my Amazon credit. But if you buy your dog diapers through TSPAS, I get my Amazon credit for it, right? I recommend these products because I use them. If you come to my home and we start going through all the shit I've reviewed on, on T-SPAS, like, where's that? Oh, it's over there. Where's that? Oh, it's over there. Where's that? It's over here. Um, I don't know that it'll always be that way because I want to make sure that I'm being completely holistic. But at this point, I think I've had two items, and I've been doing this now for like four months, two items in four months that are items that I do not personally own. This is one I own, and this is one I use, and this is with the winter coming, and the dry weather coming, and the brutal outdoor work that I do coming, and the cracked heels coming. I will be using it again in that time. Uh, when I make a recommendation like this, you can definitely trust me. Anyway, wrapping things up today, uh, the song of the day today is by Garth Brooks. He's one of my favorite country music artists, because I believe that Garth is the kind of guy that throws his entire being into what he does. He's, it's why he and Chris Ledoux, I think, became such, such great friends, uh, prior to Chris's, uh, too early departure from the world. Um, but this song is one that's not really in keeping with the type of music that I play. It doesn't have a huge, uh, social message in it, like about, you know, what have you. But there's, there's certainly one in the backstory here yeah, that I'll tell you in a second. Uh, but this song is just a beautiful song, and it's got beautiful saxophone in it, and that's where the story comes from. And even though this song's about, like, kind of a heartbroken guy who's lost the woman that he loves, believe it or not, Darth and I really like this song because she's just the first line in it. So that's when I start out with you, like, why I love this song personally other than just it sounds so pretty. It, it, because it's there's not a lot of things to do. I wouldn't rather do with you. Now, in this song, the 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 protagonist has lost her. Well, I haven't, and, and I, I'll tell you what. I, I talk to people who are in relationships when we're, when I'm like away from my wife at like a fishing thing or something like that. Man, it's good to be away. And I'm like, why are you married? 
Because that's how I feel. Like There are things I do without my wife because she doesn't want to do them, and I do. And so there's things she does without me because she, wa she wants to do them, and I don't. Right, Because we're men and women, we're different, and we have things. But there's not a lot of things to do I wouldn't rather do with her. And if you have that in a relationship, make sure you cultivate it, make sure you build on it, and never let it go. And if you don't have that, that's what you're looking for. So that's just a little, you know, happy lesson. But the bigger thing in this song is the story of the saxophone. And I remembered hearing about this, and I thought this would be great today to tell you about going for it, jumping, knowing you can crush it, and the types of things that we talked about today. This is an interview uh, on Freebergs with Garth Brooks, and I have the whole interview linked to, but I just want to read two answers uh, to two of his questions. And one of them, it starts out with a subtitle, Make More Mistakes. It says, you've had an incredible success, not only as a recording artist, but also as an entertainer. It strikes me that you haven't gotten here without taking risks and experimenting. Garth says, yeah, you know, a mistake isn't a mistake if you learn a lesson from it, so mistakes don't scare me or bother me. I feel like I made the same mistake twice, then I feel like I've really screwed up. But if I make one mistake and learn from it, hey, to me, that's me in the game of life. It's just as important to know what doesn't work as what does. So I think mistakes are a good thing. I just love putting it out there, putting it on the line. Baptism by fire. Can you give us an example? Garth says, we had a song called One Night a Day that needed a sax solo. We didn't have a sax player, so I took four lessons and tried it in front of 20,000 people. That was the worst thing I've ever done. So the next night, instead of calling in a sax player, right? I'm off script here. So the next night, instead of being like, okay, that sucked. That was terrible. That was awful. You, you don't think Garth Brooks could make a phone call and get a professional sax player like that fast? No, no, no. He says, so the next night, it got a little better. And the next night, a little better. Until finally, we could pull it off enough just to make it a memory in the show. Giving people a picture, a memory, that's what a concert's all about. When people take those pictures of you standing on top of a piano, playing a sax solo and say, I got it, I got that shot, or flying out there over the crowd on a rope, they shoot that, they take those things home with them, and they piece them together like a little trailer in a movie. But again, man, if you make an error being aggressive, I'll take that error. But if we get through a show with no mistakes and we played it safe, I don't want that show. I really don't. No one ever says, we're going to go listen to Garth tonight. What they say is, we're going to go see Garth. So I tell the band, if you try something, make a mistake and bust your ass and end up on the floor, that's what they'll remember. They'll remember that more than that gorgeous B-flat minor you played. I think it's the same way in life. You either you can either sit on your ass and condemn other people for trying things, or you can go out and try and do all the stuff you possibly can so that when you can't get off your ass, when you're older, you've got something to keep in mind, your mind entertained, something to remember. And you know, I don't want a what-if life. I just don't want to say, I let that happen. Man. Come on, guys. Did you get it yet? That's what I've been trying to tell you guys for over eight years. All the shit that can go wrong, we, 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 we prepare for. But the best, the best defense is what? A good offense. Go out. Make it happen. Get shit done. If this guy, who has 20,000 people that paid good money, can take four lessons on a saxophone, get up on top of a piano, and blow it the first time, 
and do it again the next night and again the next night until he got it right and make people love him for it, what excuse do you have for not jumping, for not taking the shot? So even the show, even though this song is low-key and pretty and soft, enjoy the artistry of it, but remember the story behind it. You don't get anywhere unless you make shit happen, unless you go out and get shit done. With that, this has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Not a lot of things to do I wouldn't rather do with you Guess I'm funny that way Lately I just sit and stare I talk to people who aren't there To get to one night of One night a day, one step away from leaving you behind. I sit up with the radio, sing along with the ones I know to get through one night of them up and make them mad to let them know that I'm okay I used to sit and talk to you but they're all just a substitute to get through one night of one